Okay, this is the beginning of Christmas podcast number five, and we will be beginning with the segment, What Dia Did Today? Um, So we really just worked on the half passes as they are in the pre-St. George test. So if you recall from the earlier podcast, that means leaving the F corner, going to X, doing a change, and then half passing to M. Um, So I didn't do it exactly how it is in the test. I did a half pass from F to X, and then a change, and then went straight, or I went straight and then did the change on the center line somewhere. And then I did the right half pass from M. I did the right half pass from the center line to the M. um, And really just random places. But the important part is that the half pass is the appropriate length. And um, that you've practiced the appropriate placement. So I did practice the appropriate placement for the left half pass and the right half pass. Even though I didn't marry them together. And it's really hot today, very, very hot today, so that's pretty much all Dia did today. Um, She needs to do some trot work probably soon, and maybe we'll marry the half passes tomorrow, and I can let you know how that goes if I do that. And that concludes the segment, What Dia Did Today. Moving on to today's podcast topic, we will be talking about gatekeeping in the dressage community. And we'll first be starting with horses and breeds of horses and how certain horses are kept out um, and how this happens. In my personal experience, certain horses get better scores for the way they look, their breeding, Um, their gates, their carriage, certain things that are entirely determined by how they were bred um, and their lineage, really. So I consider this to be a form of gatekeeping, um, and one of the reasons for this is judges like to say that horses are favored over other horses because of natural talent. And let's think about what that means and what that implies, because the natural part of that seems to imply that these horses are naturally gifted um, in ways that other horses are not. Um, And that's not necessarily true at all, because we've bred these horses to be good at this sport. They've been bred to be talented. They aren't necessarily naturally talented. We bred them to be this way. So I think that it's important to be inclusive of all breeds, um, the quarter horses, the little ponies, Welsh mountain ponies, um, thoroughbreds, and then also the warmbloods. Um, I don't think that there should be as much gatekeeping as there is in this community. I think a lot of horses bring a lot to the table in different ways. Those short, compact horses can do really good um, downward transitions. For instance, in second level, my quarter horse Ice did a lot of really good compact walk transitions that my horse Dia, an Oldenburg Warmblood, can't 
do the same way. They're not as easy for her like they were for him. Um, another point that I'd like to talk about as far as breeding would be how each individual horse is judged differently in a class. So Ice would have a class with a bunch of warm bloods and he would consistently score lower than the warm bloods even if he had a more accurate test um, and he wouldn't necessarily always be scored for his capability and what I mean by this is he might receive a four on an extended trot because not much extension was shown. Um, now I would argue here that he was showing as much extension as he could and that that should be at least a 5 or a 6 because 5 or 6 is considered like an average score the movement was done. It doesn't necessarily blow the judges away, but it was done. Um, I don't think that scoring considers the capability of the horse all of the time. I think it's very important that judges think about what is this horse capable of, looking at how they are bred, built, um, just their confirmation. You can make some assumptions about a horse based on their confirmation, and I think that judges should be more fair in assuming values to these horses because they're doing the best they can, and maybe we don't know for sure in the five minutes that you're watching this horse, maybe we don't know exactly what their best looks like, but I think a five would be reasonable um, for a horse like Ice, for instance, who doesn't have a lot of ground cover in his average trot. I'd also like to discuss um, how breeds are classified and how this is kind of a form of gatekeeping as well. So my horse Dia is an Oldenburg. She is a 16.3. She weighs about 1,600 pounds. She's heavy on the forehand. She has a dished face. Um, she's very stocky, very wide. And then my horse Ginny is also an Oldenburg. She is 15.3. Um, she has a flat face. She's chestnut. Dia is dark bay. She is level in the back. She's not on the forehand. Um, and these horses are both Oldenburgs, but they don't look related at all. And yes, I am specifically kind of addressing Oldenburgs right now. I think certain breeds are more rigorous in whether or not horses can become registered as that breed, but Oldenburg is definitely the Oldenburg Association. There are two of them. They are both a part of two separate Oldenburg organizations, which I also don't really think should be a thing. Um, I think if we are going to divide horses by breeds, they should only have one breed organization. I think this just consolidates everything. It makes it so that a junior rider riding an Oldenburg at the third level and another junior young rider riding an Oldenburg at the third level, they can't both win number one in the country for all breeds. Um, and I think that's important because the assumption with all breeds is that they are the number one 
Oldenburg, written by a junior young writer at this level in the country. And by having two organizations that pretty much affirm the same thing and give out the same award, it's not reflective of kind of what the point of the United States Dressage Federation All Breeds is. So, I think that there should be either more criteria for horses to fit into certain breed associations, or we should do away with breed associations in total. And this is the part that leads into the gatekeeping. Um, getting a horse registered as a part of a breed association can be quite taxing. Um, it requires the horses to have their lineage on file. It requires a lot um, for people to have. And this is a form of gatekeeping because if you're adopting a horse from an SPCA or something, um, you can't necessarily show it and win all breeds. Because what if this horse was like left on the side of the road somewhere, no paperwork, nothing. You don't know anything about this horse. You have no idea who its parents were. So it, it'll be very difficult to get that horse registered under any breed association. And this is a huge issue with adopting horses. Um, the motto, adopt, don't shop, doesn't really apply to dressage. So people are looking for that quote-unquote natural talent, which is being bred into horses, and you can't find that at an SPCA because it's not natural talent. <laughs> so I think that it would be really important and beneficial to dressage if we could include more horses um, in the sport. Moving on to how people are kind of gate-kept out of dressage, um, Lots of hoops to jump through, we know this, with the different organizations, and also it becomes a little bit of a wealth issue. Um, lessons can be really expensive, horses are really expensive, and there are ways to avoid buying one's own horse in order to compete at the sport. Um, they're just not commonly implemented. So issues that people have when they're trying to get into dressage, lessons are expensive. And then if you want to start competing, you want to be the primary rider of a horse so that you can build a rapport with this horse, so that you can make sure that you know exactly what they're being taught, to make sure that there's no miscommunication between riders because you're the primary rider or the only rider. Um, I'm not saying that a horse can't be ridden by multiple people, but it's best if a horse is being competed sometimes for there to be one primary person who's riding the horse, just for consistency. And consistency helps get consistent good scores. So the issue with trying to be the primary rider on one horse is how do you kind of reserve that horse for yourself without leasing it? There isn't really a program for that. Um, you have to pay a lot of money to lease a horse. Now you're housing a horse. So this sport is a lot more expensive than some other sports. And it's considered a little bit elitist, which that label also steers people away from it. It's not considered as 
tough as other sports, even though it definitely is. Um, but this elitist kind of way of looking at dressage limits the types of people who are able to do it. It keeps the demographic um, quite tight. And people being able to ride horses and be the primary riders on horses would be a great benefit for the sport overall. All kinds of people would be able to do it, um, and it would be a more commonplace sport to be discussed. There might be less stigma about it being elitist. Um, so overall, I think expansion of the sport should be done through allowing more horses and more people to compete. Because even if people are able to afford lessons, and even if horses are able to be used for the sport, if they're not able or really allowed to compete, it's not fully benefiting the sport. I think it's important that not only are SPCA horses and people who don't have the budget to spend on dressage, I think it's not only important that they are able to participate and have lessons and do the sport and get better at the sport and train, I think it's important that they get to compete. And with all these hoops that people have to jump through, it's very difficult and it's not a sport that's made for people to be able to compete at. I would say the most competition that's the most affordable for dressage is at the collegiate level because of team budgets. So teams are allotted a certain amount of money and colleges already have horses for the students to ride. So students aren't spending their money to lease a horse, to ship a horse to a show. The college is paying for them to do that. Um, but the issue with collegiate level dressage is that they only go up to first level. Um, and that's a very low level. So people aren't necessarily given the quote-unquote high-quality horses, for one thing, to be able to go past first level. Um, and they aren't necessarily being able to compete and really expand their training. It's a little bit base level. Um, an issue and a primary reason why it's so base level is because so many people are riding these horses. So this is back to what I was saying about consistency. When you have 20 million people riding these horses and collegiate riding is catch riding, so not only are these schools' horses being ridden by the students on the team, which might be 15 different students, but they're also being ridden by these random students from across the country that are coming in to show because it's catch riding. People don't bring their own horses to collegiate horse shows. They come and they ride the horses that the colleges have to offer them. So these horses aren't getting consistent training. They're also being trained and ridden. I say trained and ridden because even if the students aren't aware of what they're doing and they're just learning, every time a horse is ridden, they're being trained. So these horses are being trained by riders who don't know what they're doing and they're trying to figure out what their aids mean. And with horses who don't have a solid dressage foundation, who don't have solid dressage training, it can be really difficult and challenging for them to figure out what these riders are asking for. 
So I would say that while the collegiate dressage competition scene is very inclusive, um, it has a lot of drawbacks to it as well. And I think that it would be really beneficial to dressage if there could be a middle ground, if there was some kind of program that people could join where they can be the primary rider of horses and compete those horses at any level they are capable of. I don't think it should be limited to first level, and I don't think the horses should be subject to being ridden by so many people, which can be a damaging experience for the horses and it can make an already difficult experience for the riders more difficult. Well, I hope that explanation of gatekeeping for both horses and riders um, was somewhat helpful. <laughs> it's easier for me to write these things down than it is for me to say them out loud, um, but for me to write it and then to say it would take a lot longer than just me saying it, so we're doing the best we can right now. Um, in extension to this issue of gatekeeping, I'd also like to talk about horse breeding. So I touched on this earlier quite a bit when I was talking about breeding through the lens of gatekeeping, but now I'd like to change the lens to a more genetic standpoint um, and the issues that we are breeding into horses. By breeding so many horses, for one thing, um, we have a surplus of horses. So the horses that are sitting in SPCAs are still just sitting in SPCAs. And now we're breeding more horses on top of those horses. So not only are those horses not getting adopted, but we're breeding more horses anyway. And a lot of these really nice horses are going to the wealthy upper class who have enough money to spend on these really nice, expensive, quote-unquote, naturally gifted horses. Um, and these horses are going for like $500,000, $600,000, um, maybe more. <laughs> so these really expensive horses are going to these adult amateur, primarily upper class women. Um... And I highlight the fact that they are adult amateurs because, first of all, as I've discussed before, um, horses who are ridden by just adult amateurs and people who don't really know what they're doing, amateurs in general, they have a difficult time learning dressage because the aids are really muddled. People don't necessarily know what they're doing. So what these adult amateur women will do, I say women because most of the time it's women. In my experience, I've seen it be women that buy these really nice horses and ride these really nice horses and try and compete these really nice horses. Um, so these women will then get their trainer to ride the horse and train the horse for them. And sometimes they'll get on after the coach. Sometimes they'll ride um, with the coach's instruction. Um, sometimes the coach will ride more days a week than they will. Um, and this issue is twofold. On the one hand, we're breeding these really nice horses, these adult amateurs who don't necessarily know what they're doing are buying, um, and there might be instances where these adult amateurs buy a horse, and then they kind of work it into the ground, and these horses end up broken, and it's kind of a lot of lost talent. And then even these horses could end up in a pasture or at the SPCA, and then these adult amateurs just go out and buy a new horse. 
and they broke the last one. The second issue is well, amateurs can't go out and buy these SPCA horses even if they are the best fit for them um, because, I mean, they could technically go out and buy them, but if they're looking to compete them, it's not really beneficial for them because they don't have the paperwork that these really nice um, high-end, well-bred horses have. Um, talking about these nice, quote-unquote, natural, quote-unquote, horses, again, there are some genetic issues that are being bred into them. For instance, there's a whole line of horses with really terrible feet. Um, there's a whole line of horses with blood issues, and um, there are a lot of horses that are prone to cancer, um, Appaloosas are prone to blindness, um, quarter horses are prone to that muscle issue. The muscle issue I'm referring to here is HYPP, um, but there are lots of muscle issues that quarter horses are actually prone to having. Um, and a lot of these issues that horses are prone to having are because of this magnificent job humans have done trying to breed them only for the sports that they are competing in. Um, so I'm talking more generally about breeds and what they're bred for and how their breeding has affected them. Um, but there are definitely things that are more specific for dressage. For instance, the line horses with terrible feet, they tend to be dressage horses. And what do I mean by terrible feet? I mean that their feet literally crumble apart in um, dry, arid conditions, really hot conditions. Um, it takes very little for the feet to just start to crumble. Um, which is obviously terrible because the health of the entire leg kind of rests in the health of the foot. Um, I think this is where I will conclude today's topic about gatekeeping and horse breeding. Um, and this is somewhat of a rant, I would say, with some offerings of constructive criticism for dressage and equestrian sport in general, um, as well as for horse breeding. But it's also just a lot of food for thought. Um, so think about what you make of all of this. Um, what do you think about how judges score horses? Um, what do you think about how breeds are treated differently? And what's the benefit of not breeding these insanely fancy, quote-unquote, talented, naturally horses? What do we benefit from trying to show and compete the SPCA horses? Um, what do we have to gain and what do we have to lose? So, yeah.